Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A gospel reading from the second chapter of Matthew. Now after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken throughout the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. Grace and peace to you, my friends in faith. So this Thursday, it's Epiphany. And like you, I didn't wait until Thursday to open all my Christmas presents either. It's definitely not part of our tradition, even though as we think about the impact of the, of the Magi, of the wise men, that this was the day that they come and they bring their gifts, that they bring them to Jesus. Matthew's Gospel indicates that a lot of our nostalgia around the story of these three wise kings... Uh, these gentlemen adorned in decadence, honestly, is probably a bit misleading. Uh, a lot of these customs and details have grown over time. There's not much written about these, uh, these magi who come from a distant land. So what do we do? Well, we can, learn to, uh, we can learn a lot from what we actually do read in Matthew's gospel. So let's start at the very beginning of Matthew here. We got in the time of King Herod, these wise men, and there's a footnote. Okay, so really, wise men, magi. The, Cre- the Greek for magi is actually a sorcerer, magician, or a wizard, which really changes the way we perceive these three guys. And it's not even three, it's just that's the number that we've come about deciding how many uh, wise men have come along, right? So hardly kings, but we do get this indication of these foreigners coming, uh, whether they're astronomers or wizards, that they are coming and they're looking for something that has been foretold to them. And so this is what they come to find out. And, and maybe in our heads, we also think that they're coming to find this baby. Well, is that the case? Because they ask, where's the child who's been born? There's an assumption that maybe this child is a little bit older now, that this child that they uh, have come to Bethlehem is not just a little baby. And another huge clue to that is what happens in verse 11. Because on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Uh, Let's remember what we heard on Christmas Eve, because where was this baby born? In a manger, out in the stable, not a house. So in the time of transition, where they finally got a little bit of stability, now they're living in a house. And so this gives us a sense that there's some time that has elapsed, that this story of the Magi coming to visit from wherever they are has now uh, meant that they're coming to see a child who's a little bit older, probably a toddler. Okay, and so where are they coming from? Because we get another footnote that says that they have observed the star at its rising and they've, they've come from the east so that they're ri- they've, seen, they've seen the star rising in the east. Well, where would, that, where would that take them from? So 
Again, a lot of the biblical scholarship on this uh, helps point to where these magi are from, right? They're, they're probably not from all the way over in China or in India. In, in fact, they're probably from a lot, what would have felt like a far long distance was actually more likely Iran. And so Iran, you've you got to figure that this distance that they had to travel to get to Bethlehem uh, was from where probably modern-day Tehran is. So here's how far that would take them. It would take them 384 hours today to walk from Tehran to Bethlehem. About 16 days if that's all you're doing, right? If all you're doing is 24 hours of walking from Tehran to Bethlehem. So I, I struggle to think that they, you know, boom, Jesus is born, and then 12 days later, they just magically showed up at the, at the scene of this birth. My, my hunch is this is some, some news that's taken a little bit of time, unless, of course, they had some, some camels that had jet, some jetpacks behind them. That's probably the only way that they could have eclipsed that time and gotten there within 12 days. Maybe they left early, but again, I think we sometimes get bogged down on some of those details. What we do know about this story of the Magi is what are they expecting when they end up uh, following this star? And I think one of the clues is where they actually go first. They don't keep following the start of Bethlehem first, they actually go to Jerusalem because they're expecting this newborn king to be in Jerusalem where the king is, right? That's where Herod lives, so that's where they're going. They're poking around, they're asking questions. Hey, we heard about this king that's been born. We'd like to come and meet this king to pay homage. So what happens is as they're poking around and asking all these questions, King Herod finds out about it. He wants to know a little bit more about it. So as, as much as the, the story of the king that's born in the manger uh, is, is someone that we hear that story and we know how that's going to play out, the, the king that's of actual power is someone who's quite opposite of what Jesus represents. You know, King Herod is downright evil. Uh, you look at how he reacts when he hears about these foreign magi who are poking around looking for the king of the Jews. And, and he's terrified, literally. He, he's frightened, and all of Jerusalem's frightened with him. I'm like, why would Jerusalem be frightened? Like, what, what are they, are they scared of this little tiny baby for? Well, they're frightened because of how they think King Herod might react. You know, what do the kings do during the days of Jesus? Like, what do they fear the most? They, they fear someone else claiming their throne. They fear anybody who's going to threaten their power. Anytime that there's those threats, they're trying to get rid of it. So they don't want, they don't want to have battles. They don't want to have to, to be fighting to the death with folks. So he's paranoid about rebels and insurrectionists or usurpers. You name it, he doesn't want anything to do with it. It's kind of this mentality if you're in power of kill or be killed. It's the same old story even when Jesus gets crucified. You know, you know, think about that interaction that Jesus is going to eventually have with Pontius Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? I mean, it's kind of like implying by Pilate, like, you and what army's coming after my power? So why would Jerusalem also be frightened? I think Jerusalem's probably frightened because they're also worried about the retribution that Herod could have and could take out on all of them. I mean, he's got a reputation. He's power-hungry. He's, he's a villainous monster, really. Uh, he's famous for executing several members of his own family, including his wife and his sons. I mean, this, is, this Herod that we hear about in the Bible, I mean, he's the reason that we need Jesus to come into the world. So this toddler, this son of God, this baby or two-year-old or whatever he is, he has so much 
influence that he can strike fear in the heart of the evilest man around. And that's why we heard the whole story today. That's why we read beyond the Epiphany story. That's why we read beyond what we heard in the Spark Bible. Because we need to know what happens after the Magi leave. And we don't always hear that part because, let's be honest, it's not very Christmassy to hear about the reaction that Herod has towards the children of Bethlehem. What happens to Jesus? Well, fortunately, Joseph is also warned in a dream. He's told, hey, you got to go to Egypt. Because being a refugee, which, like today, we hear what refugees have to go through, being a refugee is literally the safest thing that can possibly happen to you. It's the only way that you're going to survive is to completely get out of this place, to go somewhere safe and be a refugee. I think about it in this battle of good versus evil, something had to give. Because Jesus wouldn't have been able to survive if he stayed put. And and let's also name the fact that these magi bring gifts to Jesus that we don't fully understand. Even even in the children's Bible, it's trying to be like, ooh, these are gifts fit for a king. Really? Like, who brings that stuff to a little child and says, here, play with frankincense or myrrh? Like, you don't give this gift to a child unless there's something else beyond it, right? Right? And so they realize that this, this child is a king. They open up their, chez- their treasure chests and give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the light bulb went off for me this week as I was thinking about it. And I was thinking about what the implication was for giving these gifts. Because as much as the story says that Joseph's warned in a dream and the, the Magi are warned in a dream to avoid Herod, I think the two of them probably talked a little bit. And they're like, you know, we didn't really get a great sense from Herod. In fact, we think you should probably get out of here. And you're going to need some funds to be able to survive out there on your own. And in a culture of bartering and trade, here's some things that will actually help you survive once you get out of here so that this child, this king, can actually live. All of a sudden, don't those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh seem a little bit more practical now? This is what's going to help Jesus survive? You know, I've often heard tales that these are the gifts that might have lasted until Jesus' death. And maybe. But think about how practical they would have been just to get him to survive, to get to Egypt and back. So much of our attention during this time of Christmas is about the gifts. Right? And this is the story that probably comes to mind the most about the origins of why we give Christmas presents to each other. And so I thought about, well, like, what are the gifts that we give, not just individually, but as a church? What are the things that Faith Lutheran can give to Jesus? What are we going to give back to God this year? And so before we unveil these presents, I know you're all just really anxious and excited. Uh, you see, We can't open any presents in my house until we hear another story. We like to really drag it out and really make those kids have to wait with with all of this expectation. So I'm going to tell you one more story. But I'm not going to be the one to tell you about it. I'm actually going to give you a clue about what these gifts are going to represent. And it actually comes from CBS Sunday Morning. Uh, So last week on CBS Sunday Morning, Faith Sally had a clip about what she thought the word of the year should have been. And this is what it is. The Merriam-Webster word of the year is vaccine. For the Oxford English Dictionary, it's vax. Those are solid choices. Vaccines are a game changer. But for a word nerd like me, there's not a lot to dig into with vaccine. The word I can really use a shot of is grace. 
I've heard people using the word grace more than ever this past year. When I was growing up, grace to me either meant the Christian definition, a favor from God that's spontaneous and undeserved, or it referred to my great aunt Grace who collected frogs and bourbon. Today, folks are using it to mean so many things, not just elegance of movement or a blessing before a meal, but when someone says, I need grace or let's show some grace, it means let's be patient, let's be forgiving, let's be understanding that we all fail to be impeccable. Grace is the spiritual high five we give and get for even trying to show up. This challenging time has taught us that we're all in this together. Our ability to grant grace rather than judge is what heals us. You give grace to someone not because they're worthy of it, but because you can, because you're human and you hope someone will give you the same gift. So what's under our tree, what's under this manger? And again, this is the, the manger as we remember the, the trees and how this is uh, the, the tree that grew up to become the manger, how that becomes such an integral part of the story. We remember that as humans, we're not impeccable, we're imperfect, so we give grace because we can. And so each of these gifts is going to represent a different grace that we can give back to the world. So in the first box, let's, let's see what's in this one. You know, this one represents the grace that we give back to the earth. How important is that going to be for us this year? To remember all of the ways that we are part of God's creation. And so as our church continues to explore ways to be stewards of the earth, we think about that giant yard that's now been converted to native prairie. And ways that we, in our own homes, have converted our yards to gardens and planted fruits and vegetables to be able to give to our neighbors. We think about all of the ways that we intentionally use this building in our own homes to be able to say, what can I do to be able to take care of this earth? You know, my own family, we've been talking about this a lot lately. Part of it's because we're, we're in the middle of having solar panels installed in our house, and we're talking about that. Why are we doing that? Why are we, t- you know, we talk about that with our kids. Like, why are some of these things going to be important? We're talking about composting, and we're talking about planting a butterfly garden this summer. All of these ways that we can be intentional on how we're giving back, thinking about the opportunity that we have as inhabitants of this earth to help take care of the earth. And, and we all play a really important role in that, and especially even if we haven't done so very well in the past, that there's grace in knowing that we can try to take care of Mother Earth right now. What an important gift that will be for us as the church to keep doing. All right, well, what's the second present? Um, was this the heavy one? All right. Yeah, um, okay. So this, this, is, this is really an important one for us too because... This is, this is the way that, as a church, we give back to our neighbors with grace. I, I, I think about the story that we heard today about walking with Jesus as a refugee and, and thinking about the Magi in a different way of, like, the gifts that they gave helped Jesus survive being a refugee. That's what our church is doing right now as we become a circle of welcome congregation with a family from Afghanistan. As we will find out in the next week or two or month of what this family has been through to get here to Minnesota. And we as a church are going to walk alongside them 
we'll be able to provide them uh, furniture and furnishings for their home and, and know that we're also going to be some of the first faces and friends that they're going to make in this new country and this new life. How important will it be for us as the church to continue to show grace to our neighbors, thinking about ways that uh, our ministries for those who've been unsheltered and homeless, those who are uh, hungry, and those who are veterans, those in our neighborhood, in our community, who are in need. We continually, as a church, are looking for ways to live this out. This is such an important gift that we as a church are giving back, thinking about how we interact with our neighbors. Now, it's not always easy, is it? Like, we have to be grace-filled with each other to know that sometimes these ministry areas don't go exactly as planned, but the Spirit continues to lead us to care for our neighbors. So we go, and we do likewise. All right, and what's the last one? I, I, I have a feeling this one's probably going to be the, the hardest one, but, but maybe the most important, because let's, let's also think about, oh, this sounds like a good one. Um, you know, this, one, this one's grace, but it's grace for ourselves. Like, it's what we need to hear because we aren't perfect. We're facing all sorts of unknowns. Each and every day, we kind of get thrown new information and we're like, well, what's going to happen next? What has COVID done to our lives? It's thrown the unpredictable at us and we've had to adapt. We've had to keep making changes. And you think about what Faith Sally said in her video. She said, grace is the spiritual high five we give and get for even trying to show up. So, Congratulations. You showed up today. Way to go. Spiritual high fives all around. You too. Yeah. All right. I know you want one of those. And you up there. High five to you. Virtual high five. You did it. You showed up today. How amazing is that? That you're looking for that that amount of grace. That God's grace is what we crave. We think about grace as it's spiritual resilience. It's about listening to Prayer Lab and thinking, wow, I might be able to find moments of blessing or peace or quieting our hearts to the chaos all around us. Grace with ourselves, it's probably the hardest because it requires us to recognize that in this world, it's full of brokenness and shame, of high expectations inequality, injustice. I mean, that's all there. And we know that we can't earn it. We can't possibly fix everything. We can't overcome our own shortcomings. We can't overcome our greed, our desires, our sinfulness. We can't do it. Yet Jesus came into this world humbly in this manger, knowing that's exactly what he faced, knowing exactly what this world was really all about. And he still did it. That is grace. That is the gift that Jesus gives to us. A gift that we have an abundance of. We have so much grace to give away. In fact, the more of that grace that we share with the world, the more we'll have to give. Like, No, this isn't a picture of my house. Like, the more gifts of grace that we give to the the world, the more that will continue to pile up and the more grace that we have to give, give away. These boxes are just the beginning. Just a small reminder of all of the beautiful ways that God has touched our lives. And an important reminder of how we are then called to give that grace away to the world as well.
Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.